0: Everybody, this is Ise Cosette, and you are listening to Ise's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And today we have another special guest, the Doctora Reina León in the building.
1: How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited, especially because you're, you're based in Puerto Rico, and that's where my father's family is from. And... Seeing that you're in Rio Piedras, which is also where my family is from. So this is this wonderful connection of of homecoming, Um, even though not being able to be there. Although I wish I was, (laughs) I really wish I was. (laughs)
0: You're here in spirit. Sitting has connected me with amazing writers. And so I thought it was very important to share your story because as I continue to like read up on you and what you've accomplished, um, your books, your fellowships, your awards, your like... Like the list goes on, you're making space not only just for like Afro-Latina women, but for Black women, which is very important in the academia. So um, since I would love to hopefully one day be in similar shoes um, that you walk in and, and follow your footsteps, I thought it would be very important to share your story. Um, where you going in your life and how did you kind of come into this wonderful being? So please just tell the people a little bit about yourself.
1: I want to call my the names of my ancestors first. So I am the daughter of Norma, um, who's actually downstairs <laughs> on a, her own uh, workshop. And she's the daughter of Queen Esther, also known as Al- Alhara. Um, that was a mistake on her birth certificate. The daughter of Sarah, the daughter of Eliza, the daughter of Lizzie, the daughter of Lydia, the daughter of Sarah, the daughter of so many unknown women, they whose physical freedom was taken away and who struggled and dreamed me and they who came before me. I'm also the daughter of Eddie, the son of Juanita, the daughter of Angelina, the daughter of Benancia, the daughter of Dominga, the daughter of Teresa, and the daughter of so many whose names are also beyond my knowing. And so when I think about, you know, what is my way, my way begins with those who set the way for me, right? And I call on the names of of the women of my family because we also are mindful, we have to be mindful of um, thinking about the the body lineage um, that we carry as as those who have come before us. You know, all, all women are born with all Ova that they will ever carry, right? And so when you think about it, you were already within the body of your grandmother, that potential was there for you. And so when I think about that, I think of like how far, how far um, of the caring of generations. And you know, that comes into epigenetics and and generational trauma, but also generational um, resilience and joy. And so anyway, when I think about like how I've come into this journey as poet, as writer, um, as, as mother, as community worker, all these things, I think about those who have come before me and, and how um, I hope that I am, I'm walking in the steps they could have imagined and far beyond, right? So yeah, I, I'm a poet, <laughs> as you know, from Obsidian. My mother is also a poet, as well as an educator and a former uh, full professor leader within the collegiate space, as well as an AKA, and and I'm also an AKA, um, this is a big time for us. (laughs) So there are lots of uh, things that I recognize that I'm walking in her legacy too, alongside as a writer. I think that too is a part of my journey, delighting in the joy of seeing people finding their way, (laughs) um, being a part of that. And I think that that's also something about my way as a, as a writer and a, and a teacher and a, and a mother in the world is that like it ain't all about me um, it's about us it's about how we grow together and like you may have seen that like uh, in practice with Obsidian like so for those who are listening and know a little bit so Obsidian um, has a similar model to Cave Canem um, it is poets from the African diaspora throughout the world. It's incredible. And my, my unique contribution to that space, I think, was I was on the references. Somebody says something and I'm like, Google, here's the link, y'all. <laughs> like, oh, and here's a, a form that not everybody knows about. Oh, you know what? We got an Excel sheet now. <laughs> like, <laughs> and f- all the references that people have mentioned in the different workshops, And part of my reason behind that was wanting to archive because I think that a number of organizations, um, we are never more at risk when our histories are at risk, when our um, collective knowledge is at risk. And so part of like documenting what was said there is also contributing to the future documentation, the future papers of the Obsidian Foundation, the future papers of the folks who were gathered
0: we we sometimes like you said we're overwhelmed with all of the products that we're involved in and stretching ourselves and adapting to like life that we forget to really document the process or so we sometimes don't even realize that we're really growing through things that we've prayed for like to accomplish. So even mm-hmm. your mom's transition of All of the wonderful things that she's instilled in you, to for her to get her flowers and to be able to share that with you, is amazing, right? What shifted in you? What made you realize that we need to archive, we need to organize to have all these things?
1: You know, I started out as a journalist. Um, So that was my undergraduate study. And I really um, entered into that um, profession, at least um, started in that profession. Um, in my professional studies because I wanted to preserve our stories to, um, I was really tired of watching the news or reading the news and everybody black has murdered somebody like, and, and seeing that over and over and over on the news of like, why is it our stories are never celebrated? Like, um, why is it that there is this depiction of blackness in particular, but for all people of color as, as enemy, as um, as boogeyman, as monster. Um, and that ain't us. That ain't us, that is a conception, that is a false, that's a lie, <laughs> that's a lie. Um, and um, so I wanted to enter into that field. And then I go to Penn State and I mentioned that university because it's poignant that the Black Caucus right now is having similar struggles in that I went there to study um, journalism my sophomore year. There were threats against um, Black leaders on campus, death threats. The university did nothing. The, a body was a black, of a Black man was found in, in the mountains where one of the death threats said that he would be found. Folks, were, it, was, it was traumatic, tumultuous times, ultimately led to a 10-day um, student protest that took over the student center. And that changed my life because I was a, I was a journalist at the time and covering some of the things. And I told the paper that I was gonna also just be a part of the protest and they told me you can't be there because you represent us, you're an editor with us. And so we have to be impartial. I'm like, do you realize who I am? Like I'm black, I'm at risk. All my, my people are at risk. And you're telling me that I can't be there to, to support and. Nah, that ain't my life. So this is a very different understanding of, of what journalism can do and why I'm here. And then what, one of the things that people said over and over um, as a result was that folks didn't know that we, that we are, um, have such dynamic lives and art and so much and within history because nobody taught us like the books were not available. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up going into, into education. And so that's how I discovered my twin vocations of writer and, and teacher as educator was through this, this resistance to what was and, and really believing very deeply that I can't complain about something unless I'm willing to change it and committing that way. And so that's how I came into to educating. But as an educator, you got to juggle everything. Like, you gotta, you, you gotta, I love your look because that's, that's it. It's just like all these changing dynamics all the time, admin concerns, students in the classroom. Oh, you're, you're dealing with middle school. They're different people every day. I'm a different person every day, all, this, all of that which I think is translated into a lot
0: of my work. Since I'm like in the PhD program, once again, juggling, thinking about the future, trying to also maintain my sanity. Um, I see that you've done so much. And that's why I was like, hmm, I wonder, you know, it's so romantic to think about, yes, I want to do a PhD, but the real <laughs> struggle I'm realizing <laughs> is finishing. <laughs> So I wanted yeah. to know, like, how do you finish? Because not only did you finish your PhD, but you went on and you got an additional MA and MFA after like.
1: OK, so the first thing is really key is that the only good dissertation is a done dissertation. It is not going to be the more, like the most brilliant thing that's perfect at every. It's just not. Um, the only good dissertation is a done dissertation. And that will set the stage for like so many different things, articles and, and books later. Um, and it may be ultimately that your dissertation becomes your book. I know plenty of people who have done that, but the only good dissertation is a done dissertation. And I think that folks who are on a committee should recognize that of like, this is part of the process and it's preparing you for this launching. So. For me, it really helped in, in finishing the PhD in particular was because I had, the, I had the incredible resource of my mother who went through the PhD process. And there were many times that I wanted to quit. If I knew then what I know now, there were a lot of decisions that I would have made differently <laughs> in my PhD process. And at the end, my, under, my communication with my dissertation chair at the end um, was fraught. And I think... There were a lot of reasons for that, but it was really hard um, to reconcile the feedback that he was trying to give me and my emotional response to the feedback that he was giving me. And ultimately my mom was like, this is what he's trying to say. (laughs) And this is what you need to do. And it took me, I I thought I would be in and out in four years. It took me six, (laughs) but part of that was I was so traumatized by my PhD experience. Once my coursework was done, I was out. I was like, I'm writing my dissertation somewhere else. So I went to Vegas and I went to Germany for a few years. <laughs> and I realized later that like, going to another place where you can't actually knock on somebody's door, is yeah, not the best solution. <laughs> like avoiding the problem, yes. Survival, also yes, but <laughs> not the easiest. But I had people, right? I had people to encourage me. Some of my really good friends, uh, when I did my dissertation um, defense, they drove, they came out and, and were there. And I, although I remember when I got the PhD, like the committee comes out and they're like, congratulations, Dr. Leon. And I called my grandmother. She was the first person I called. And um, this is my Boricua grandmother. And I'm telling her that I got my doctorate. And, my grandmother had an eighth grade education and she's like, I don't understand <laughs> what this thing is, but yes, congratulations, she was so happy for me. And then I called my dad, I wanna say like maybe half an hour later, cause I had, you know, things to do, paperwork and all that. And he was like, yeah, the whole family knows, I already knew. <laughs> cause she had called everybody. <laughs> Which I, I, I love that story. Um, and so what I say around like the PhD keeping it going is like, recognizing your people and, and having that ongoing support can be so important. And that translates into academia. And in that, for example, at St. Mary's where I am now, any kind of rank and tenure process is hard. It's, it's really hard. I remember I had these obsessive compulsive um, tendencies on, on occasion and I was tracking every single thing I did for three years every day. And the reason behind that was that I could break it down into like, what was I doing for teaching? What was I doing for service? What was I doing for my scholarship? And then like my second year, was like, what am I doing for my personal life? (laughs) But it took me a year to get to that. And only because after I analyzed the first um, year of my work in academia, I realized that in, in one month, I never had a day off. I worked 14 to 18 hour days in academia. Um, and I had no idea. I had no idea that that's what, what I had done. But part of me coming into academia, there were a group of people, um, two other, other um, women of color. And for years, we met every week for lunch. And we talked about the stuff that was going on and how we could support one another. All of us ended up getting early career awards. All of us like, had kids along the way um, and you know, all of us got tenure. I'm the first one who got um, professor, um, full professor, but they're on their way. So it was, you know, having that continued relationship over the years and like we really, we didn't miss a week. Um, That was really important. So having people, the other thing I learned along the way as far as surviving academia was one thing that I, I put a lot of emphasis on during my sabbatical was um, finding Black women in particular to, to connect with. So I did this Black Women X Dreaming Lab, which was an incredible space, oracle space, very devoted to, this, uh, to the liberation of our dreams and the collective medicine that comes from that dreaming practice. Followed the work of Alexis Pauline Gums, started a meditation practice, did her Black feminist uh, breathing chorus work, and did that one most recently, right after my daughter was born. So, like, imagine I'm holding an infant, and every day we're doing our mantras based on Audre Lorde, based on, on Pauline Murray, and just like breathing together. It was incredibly beautiful. You know, my daughter was maybe two, three months at that point. And to share that. So like finding people, finding one centeredness, and then also recognizing that like, you don't need the institution. The institution needs you. And recognizing um, that power. Because if, if it gets to, you can go anywhere. <laughs> you don't have to stay someplace. And any institution that actually is about its survival and its thriving of its people recognizes that.
0: Amen. 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 I, yes. One way I know that you can recognize your power and show how you're thriving through your words is that you have a poem to share with us today.
1: on the 16th day of self isolation. In the dawning, your brother cries each day, rested by body from dream delight into the routines. He takes the milk. He asks for baby, which is short for the television program he loves, because it teaches how to communicate in ASL, how to bridge with we giants the chasm between words we know and he invents. I tell him that he is the baby and that there is a baby too within me. Sometimes he lifts my dress or shirt and sticks his finger into my belly button or tries to lodge a magnet there as if to touch your hand as if to call you out, as if to prove that he knows you are there. In my walk from bed to kitchen, your papa already there with bottle in hand, your name emerged as if it had always been there. Aurelia, which means golden. Nothing in my life is except the light of you and perhaps a few spare pieces of jewelry. Via Aurelia is the name of the road to Geneva, the home of your grandmother's people, as much a road as it is a journey for a people who bleed the sea. Your other names we held already, atale for the Taino mother goddess who births herself and all the world, all that is fertile and all sweet waters from nothing. Norris for your great grandmother, whose name means nurse. May you be cared for and care for others. Your name prophesies our time, how you grow, and will emerge pandemic born stewed in worry and hope as hospitals now say a pregnant mother with COVID-19 will have a C-section, will be separated from the newborn for up to 14 days, will birth alone. And so I gird myself in loneliness to protect us both from separation, a kind of early death when the first hours call for clinging, the first suck of your mouth at my breast the first coos of my mouth to your ear. This is your name. We crossed a rough sea together. Here we are, daughter, whole and ever entangled, whole and separate in light and breath and blood. Aurelia, you may prove your name and birth yourself in dawn while all the world screams for care. And I moan you guttural to earth, perhaps to catch you with my own hands.
0: The power of names our lineage and how we carry it through just ourselves our bodies our babies the birth and that transition i noticed that there's a you have a real power in this connection and and um acknowledging you know that ancestral power because we are because of those who walk before us so thank you for sharing that truth as, as you speak but also um, tapping into your roots and what made you and also being able to share your story and and even more connected to you and find similar reasons to keep fighting and keep resisting and keep growing and rooting myself in truth (laughs) because you know so many things have tried to break us and stop us and you know we even sometimes want to give up and quit but poems like this people like you really really encourage me so thank you so much for sharing that
1: i'm so honored to have been to be with you and to learn more about your journey and to be a part of this conversation of a way, a way forward, a way um, out and blossoming.
0: so Reina, how are you on your way?
1: I am on my way, I'm on my way to the creative practice of flourishing, Um, flourishing into an abundance we share together and I think that that comes through as you pointed out in recognition of our ancestors and the rootedness um, and also thinking about the interweaving of branches. Branches that perhaps I will never see, right? Thinking about that lineage of growth, um, but that there will be this entanglement um, and that can, can reach toward and hold like um, so yeah, I, I am on my way through metaphor and metaphor is the practice of magic. Um, and I think that that, um, I lean into that, of, uh, that creation, that space of possibility, um, that space of wonder and joy uh, despite um, struggle, despite um, uh, hate. And, and I think that that's also fruitful um, to, to recognize we are in a time of great volatility, of a critical consciousness raising and what we um, need to recognize, or at least for me, I'm trying to recognize is that space of magic and creation and that power of possibility and potential and what's to come, right?
0: And, amen, and what's to come is greater things because yes, we are. And even if we may not see, I may mean, we continue to do, you know, solely seeds. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, whew. Yeah. Tell the people where can they connect with you? Where can they buy your books? Check out your work. Join your new
1: classes coming up. Tell them. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a class coming up through the Speakeasy Project. So you can check me out there. That one is going to be really focused on BIPOC folk. I do a lot of things with hybridity with the Speakeasy um, Project. I'm also going to be doing some coaching through the Speakeasy Project coming up. So that's pretty exciting. Um, You can find me on all the social media (laughs) by um, just doing at um, Raina Leon, R A I N A L E O N, on the gram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the things. I also co founded an organization called Story Joy. And we have some classes that are gonna be launching on February 1st and things like humanizing online teaching, learning about liberation education, financial literacy for black people, creative practice. Um, so really focusing on um, black folks, uh, indigenous folks, people of color and reaching towards our joy, our freedom because free people, free people, right? So. <laughs> So let's, let's lean into that practice of discovering our joy and freedom. Um, so that's going to launch on February 1st, and um, other things you can find on my website. So, um, oh, and I should say the Ascentos review, find me on that too, co-founded that 12, almost 13 years ago. We've published up to this point, over 900 Latinx voices across different languages, experiences, and our next um, issue deadline is April first, and the next issue comes out February fifteenth. So,
0: make sure to check it out. Support, sign up wherever you can. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for just being. Thank here. you. I'm
1: so happy
0: <laughs> for all to all our wonderful listeners. Wherever you are in your journey, continue to be rooted in your truth, in your practice, and just know that you are on your way to... Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.